It's the first Sunday of Advent, and once again, we are bombarded with Christmas. In fact, even though it's not even December yet, already on my street, some people have their Christmas lights up. But the stores, the stores have had Christmas for a few weeks now. Christmas lights, Christmas music, Christmas sales, and I even heard of an office having a Christmas party in November. Crazy! It's so hard to keep Advent and save Christmas for December 25th. So this Advent, I feel like I'm asking this every year, I'd like to encourage you to keep the preparation separate from the celebration. I don't want you to get into a fight with your family about when you should put up the tree or put up your Christmas decorations, but at least think about it. Are you putting up your decorations now because you're already celebrating Christmas? Or are you preparing for Christmas? Advent is a time for waiting, for patience, for preparing. The more we dedicate our time to those activities, the more we will enjoy the celebration when it arrives on December 25th. I'll tell you what I started doing a few years ago. I bought new Christmas lights, a string of purple lights and a string of pink lights. So I will light my purple lights for two weeks of Advent, light the pink lights for the third week and then back to the purple for the fourth week. Then on Christmas Eve, we go with white lights and I will keep those white lights lit every night until the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, which is when the Christmas season actually ends. That way, we still have lights, but they're Advent lights and we're making a distinction that the whole neighborhood can see between Advent and Christmas. That's what I'm doing. How are you keeping the preparation separate from the celebration? I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. So, Emily, I know we celebrate Thanksgiving uh, in October, l- yeah, where, yeah. Where, where we should be celebrating Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, I, I know, but but to all our listeners in the United States, um, happy Thanksgiving, happy weekend. Thanksgiving weekend, yes. Um, and and I also want to take the time to remind our listeners that all the shows, if you listen to any interview or any part of this program that you like or you want to share with someone or you miss part of the show or you don't know who the artist was because you caught the interview halfway, (laughs) where do they go, Emily? Oh, darn, Pedro. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, no, no. I think it's saltandlighttv.org. Yes. 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 Go to our website, saltandlighttv.org radio slash radio if mm-hmm. you can't remember just, that yeah. salt and light there's a tab there that says salt and light hour caught me off guard there yes just... there you go wow if emily forgets what hope do we have for our listeners um on the show today mark matthews our hollywood undercover missionary returns to tell us what's good in hollywood and that's in about 10 minutes after our news emily um, actually, I should be asking you, what are our headlines today? What's, what's coming um, up in the news? Headlines. Well, last week there was a consistory. Yes. So I'm just going to briefly talk about the Pope's homily, what he said to the new cardinals. Yes. Um, as well as the apostolic letter that came out following yes. the conclusion of On the Monday. Jubilee Year yeah. of Mercy. And um, about the themes for the next World Youth Days. Not yes. for World Youth Day, but for World Youth yes, Days. Yes, we got all three, and yes. they're all very good themes. Very. Um, so that's with Emily. After that will be Mark Matthews. And then on Connect 5, Sebastian Gomes is speaking with uh, the director of the Vatican Observatory, Brother Guy Cosolmagno, who's been on this program mm-hmm. um, already uh, with me. Um, and they're going to be talking about the origins of the universe <laughs> and the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Oh, my. Um, lots of, lots of uh, interesting conversation there. Um, and Emily, do you like conversion stories? I do. So do I. See? I, yeah, why? I love them. Why? 
Well, because they just, they remind me of, you yeah. know, what's essential. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the things that we take for granted. That we take we've for been granted. Forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, stick around because in the second half hour, we're going to be speaking with Sally Reed, who's a British poet and author. Mm. Um, she was a hardcore, a- she wasn't just like, I didn't believe in, like you know, hardcore atheist, a feminist, anti-Catholic um, and she just published a book that details her conversion, wow. like she converted to Catholicism in nine months. Um, it's a fascinating story, and she'll be telling us all about that in about 20, min- in 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so. And after that, at the end of the program, we'll be speaking with Mags, so Maggie Wong, a very talented singer-songwriter who's been on this program. I think she was here the first time when she was like 15 or 16 years old. Now she's 21. She has her fourth album is out. It's the, her album is called Maybe Our Love. She's got this great jazzy uh voice uh she's she's wonderful i really like her so we're going to start with a song um from that album here's mags with the title track from her newest album maybe our love
That was Mags with Maybe Our Love from her new album of the same name. And we're going to be speaking with Mags in our second half hour. But first, Emily is still with our news. Busy weekend, I guess, last weekend. In week last ago. weekend, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of where everything is coming from, only because yeah. it was so huge. I yes. mean, we just finished a year of mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's not something that we'll easy f- easily forget. And as the Pope said, too, in, in his uh, speeches this weekend, or last weekend, sorry, um, that... It's not over. It's not over. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's not over. So last weekend, he, um, on the Saturday, so on the the eve of the closing of the Jubilee Year of Mercy, he created 17 new cardinals. We spoke about this last weekend Mm -hmm. in our our other show. Um, So uh, the cardinals got to um, receive their titles. So each cardinal is usually um, given a a Roman church or put in the charge. A a Roman church is put in the charge. Titular parish. Exactly. A titular parish. Yes. Um, They also also got to go with the Pope to pay visit to um, Pope Emeritus Benedict oh, the Sixteenth, yes, right. yeah. um, which I think was a very special moment, and got to pray briefly together. Mm-hmm. And um, so during the consistory, which was in a mass, it was just a no, ceremony. Yeah. The so the rite of creating these new cardinals, mm-hmm. uh, the Pope did give a homily, and um, so I guess technically it's not a homily if it's not a mass. Maybe well they, Th- call they it called a it a homily. They call I it know. a homily, and there's other moments where they call a it a homily, homily when there's not no a mass. mass yeah. I don't know. Maybe some one of our listeners would be like, "Well, yes or no." I don't know. I wonder. I mean, anyway, it's a liturgy, it's a right? Sermon. It's some kind of a yeah. Yes. A sermon. The yes. Pope spoke. The Pope spoke, exactly. And uh, the kind of the key element was that he spoke of polarization and exclusion, and how um, basically there's a danger of this even within the church. Um, he says usually our, our natural reaction when we have enemies or opponents or people that we disagree with or that are different from us is to, um, you know, we we um, we tend to react, you know, and and maybe want to to kind of. Um, you know, show show lack of mercy in other ways. So he's saying, you know, our reaction should actually be the opposite yes. of what is natural, to be merciful even as your father is merciful. And he says, you know, even within our communities, between our priests and, you know, in our meetings, um, this, this virus, he calls it, of polarization and animosity permeates or can permeate our way of thinking and feeling and acting. Um, so he, he continues saying, we are not immune from this and we need to take care lest such attitudes find a place in our hearts because this would be contrary to the richness and universality of the church. And he says, which is tangibly evident in the College of Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the next day, uh, he closed the Jubilee Year of Mercy and a document was released mm-hmm. um, the day after uh, this uh, this rite of close, the closing of the Holy Doors called Misericordia et Misera. So yes. an apostolic letter. So usually before the opening of a jubilee year, there's always like a message from the Pope mm-hmm. or a letter, you know. And then at the closing as well, there's always something to yeah, kind of like, like letter, an conclude. Apostolic letter an apostolic letter, yeah. exactly. So misera, mi- misericordia, misericordia et, et misera. misera. So, so mercy with misery. misery. Exactly. And so he starts by describing the story of Jesus with the... Um, uh, the woman, the that was adulterous be, woman, that was going to be stoned. Exactly, yes. and so um, you know, the Holy Father says this is this was a moment where after everyone had gone, you know, kind of giving up on stoning her, you know, after what Jesus said to them. Well, what's who's left is. Jesus, who is mercy, mercy, and then the woman, misery, misery. right? So, yes, um, and so this is how Jesus is with us. We are left with his mercy. And, and um, 
And so the document is a, about a 10-page ten, a ten letter. And um, and he says, you know, just because we're closing the doors and just because the there's we're coming to the conclusion of this, this great year, it doesn't mean that we need to stop practicing and seeking out uh, mercy um, in all of our contexts and relationships. Um, another thing that came out as well, um, <clears throat> there were three other things. He spoke about um, the uh, the priest's ability. Um, he was extent- extending the faculty yes. of forgiving the sin of abortion, yes. which is something that he did for the Jubilee year, but that yes. now um, he is extending until further procedures or, yes. you know. And or, I understand yeah. that here in North America, that has been had been the the norm through the bishops. Right. That the bishops exactly. had extended that to the priests and the parishes. So right. I think a lot of people in North America were like, what? I thought yeah, it was I always thought it was like already that. A thing. Yeah. But in Europe and other places, I don't know about Latin America, but that was not like you had to go to the bishop right. to have that sin forgiven. But right. now, yeah. the, the jubilee continues. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And essentially, the Pope just really wanted wants mercy to be accessible to all mm-hmm. right he doesn't yeah. want anything to impede or, or have kind of the he doesn't want anyone to find obstacle mm-hmm. between you know seeking out this reconciliation with god absolutely and at the same time he's not saying that the sin that's still a terrible terrible sin the yes, sin of abortion exactly yeah. but no sin is unfor- unforgivable exactly yes. exactly he also established a world day of the poor yes. so this is going to be celebrated in or marked in november so on the 33rd yeah. sunday yeah, of the ordinary sun, the, time the second last sunday before the end of the liturgical year yes, yes. exactly yes. um and okay i was saying three things so the last thing again in regards to the sacrament of reconciliation he also said that anyone who has uh, sought or is seeking um confession or is go- receiving absolution from a priest of the Society of St. Pius X yes. um, is valid and listed. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that he mentioned in his letter as well. So. That's good to know. If yeah. anybody goes to hang out with the P- Society of Pius X, I don't know where you find them. But yeah, good. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> good to know. Um, okay. And finally, um, <laughs> see, there's a lot yes, this week, Pedro. Yes, yes. No. Okay. So finally, the World Youth Day. So right. as we know, there's always this like pilgrimage itinerary, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a spiritual journey mm-hmm. that uh, that we get to kind of go through on our way to the International World Youth Day. And so, as we know, the next one is in Panama in yes. 2019. Yeah, yes, very good, very important <laughs> yes. to mention that. And uh, and so. Up until that point, every year there's a different theme for the World Youth Day, which is a, a day and usually yeah. celebrated in each diocese yes. in their own particular way. And so for this year, I'll just kind of go through each of the themes. Mm-hmm. There are three of them, and they're all um, Marian yes. uh, themes. And so the first one um, is, The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So that's 2017. That's 2017. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, so next year, uh, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And finally, the, the theme for the 2019 for Panama. for Panama is going to be, I am the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And just so that you know, because I have the scoop, I spoke you with do. the Archbishop of Panama oh, man. several months ago, <laughs> and he was telling, actually, I spoke to him in Krakow, yeah. and he said, you know, I think that our world used to needs to have a Marian flavor, but I also wanted to have... Uh, something to do with vocations. And if you look at that I theme, the it's servant. exactly it. It's, it's Mary, I am the servant of the Lord, be Let it done, it be unto done me to me according okay. to your will. So Mary and vocations. So that's something to look forward to uh, for World Youth Day 2019 Definitely. in Panama. Yeah. See everybody there. Okay, Emily, thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, be sure to watch Emily on Vatican Connections every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on demand at saltandlighttv.org and also on your Roku channel. 
Hi, this is Lupe Rios. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Dios los bendiga. If you missed any part of this program or to listen to any interview again, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. All our programs are archived there. And now it's time for What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Mark, hello, back. Pedro. Hello. Thank you. Always a pleasure. So I, I, I have this question: Why, why is everybody, why is everybody in Hollywood so weird? <laughs> that is a great question, and it's honestly one that I have not stopped asking myself since I moved to here ten years ago. Crazy. Um, and I actually wanted to talk about that today. How funny that you asked. Funny. Um, there's so I've thought about this a lot. And there are a lot of reasons and a lot, it's a lot of gray areas, but if I was going to try and identify a few reasons, yep. these are the reasons that I would give. So the first one is that is ultimately is that many people here are divorced from their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a very post-Christian world. Um, and if I would ask, say, for maybe the biggest main reason for people have uh, you know, left the faith, and I mean, we know there are many reasons. I would say money. Really? Uh, there is so much money in Hollywood, and in particular, Los Angeles. Hmm. Um, you know, we've we've all heard about how much money you know celebrities get paid, um, and LA is a big business center. When I first moved here, I couldn't believe how much luxury real estate there was in the area. Right. I was just like, who lives in all these houses? Yeah. They're just million dollar mansions everywhere. Wow. So, and you know, so, it, so when we have all these these worldly things to kind of like, uh, you know, fill fill our uh, fill our time, you know, it's easy to distract ourselves from faith. Mm-hmm. But but Saint Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. So people end up doing a lot of kind of crazy searching along the way. Yeah. So so number one is money. I would say money and money and, and lack of faith. Okay. In general. Yeah. The second one, which I think is kind of an interesting trend that has always kind of uh, interested me or baffled me a little bit, is is what I would say is Gnosticism. Okay. And Gnosticism, the actual definition of it, it's a group of ancient heresies that stress escape from this world through the acquisition of esoteric knowledge. Uh The key being is that, oh, someone has some special bit of knowledge that's going to sort of like bypass salvation. That's going to make it easier. Okay. And you see these kind of trends all the time. So Oprah is talking about it on The Secret. Uh-huh. Um, Protestant, some crazy Protestant sects have it as name it and claim it. Uh-huh. Basically, they just, if you pray the exact right thing, God will give it to you, right. kind of like a wizard. Yeah. Um, and I even kind of point the finger, say, at someone like Bell Gibson, too. Huh. You know, praise God that, you know, he's sort of Catholic, but he was part of like a breakaway Catholic sect. It's just yeah. kind of like Oh, anything that's traditional and normal, like, oh, no, they, they can't have got it right. We've got to go for something different and, and right. crazy. So, so the translation is basically is that I think everyone wants a shortcut to salvation. And the thinking is, oh, the known ways, the wisdom of the saints, you know, couldn't possibly be true. Right. Um, so I, I count that as, you know, and ultimately I think it's pride that motivates this Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Next one, I would say, is the breakdown of the family. Uh, you uh-huh. have to remember that California was the epicenter of the sexual revolution, you know, hippies, free love, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and after, after that hit, there was, uh, you know, skyrocketing divorce rates, broken families, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I meet so many people here that come from, from broken homes. It's really rare to meet someone who, say, grew up in a traditional nuclear family. Mm. Uh, and I think quite often that what happens is when people don't get validation from their parents, they go looking for it in other places. And what a perfect place to right, get validation yeah. from the world than in show, show business, business, you know, yeah. where everyone praises you. So, uh, so, so this is a trend, I think you know, that I see around here a lot as well, mm-hmm. too. So, um, oh, yes, and, and yeah, you know, even, you know, it's funny, there's a quote that's often attributed to Chesterton, but it's actually Bruce Marshall. He said that the young man who rings the bell of the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. Yes. You know, and, and yes. Christopher West talks about the same kind yes, of thing, too. So, so oftentimes when people go looking for love, they tend to go look for it, you know, in, you yep. know, the wrong yes. sexual ways as yes. well, too. So... Yes, again, St. Augustine being restless. And then, lastly, I would just say that artists are just very different people. Um, You know, know, uh, JP2 and his letter to artists and uh, Joseph Ratzinger before he was Pope, you know, many of them have uh, meditated on this. You know, they say that the artist who is pursuing beauty prayerfully makes of themselves a vessel of God's ongoing revelation and creativity in the world. And, and quite often, I mean, that's a message from God, and it, it twists and distorts and kind of, you know, pulls the person. Um, and, you know, it, you know, artists are just a little eccentric, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of know that. Um, and when you've got so many incredibly talented artists, you know, they're going to be just a little bit more eccentric and different. And, and honestly, I don't think I've met a person who, you know, a, a person at the top who wasn't like a really talented artist of right. some sort. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, and often they're kind of these eccentricities that really allow them to perceive the world in a different way. Hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of what gives them some of their artistic genius. You know, so I, I often bug a number of my writer friends. I'm like, you're just not abnormal enough to be a writer. Like, you look, you know, too normal. So yeah, that's kind of the joke enough, at least. Yeah. So. yeah, that's funny. So I guess that explains why you're a little different, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's what my friends tell me as well. Too. It's because so you're I'm, extremely, I'm it's because you're so. extremely talented. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So... So I guess why do why do I share this? I think uh, I think it's some maybe some insight to know you know why to have mercy on these people you know to know hey a lot of these people have some very serious burdens um, you know and I've met a lot of them um, and also you know it's something to look at in ourselves too you know it might help explain you know a lot of the craziness and other things going on uh, on around us so, so you know just more understanding of you know what people are dealing with and 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 I, so I ask for. The prayers of my listeners, you know, pray for all those in Hollywood. So. Yes, good. Mercy. The year of mercy continues for Correct. Hollywood. Yes. Okay, very good. So lots of good uh, ideas there from our Hollywood undercover missionary, the weird and eccentric, but extremely talented, Mark Matthews. <laughs> Thank you, Pedro. There you have it. What's good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. You can follow him at HU Missionary. Hi, this is Lorraine Hess. 
and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with the director of the Vatican Observatory, Brother Guy Consolmagno. Modern science has discovered what they call the cosmological constant, that, you know, going back all the way to the Big Bang, the universe appears to have been sort of fine-tuned, and that if mathematically anything was different to, you know, the millionth, trillionth of a degree, that the entire universe would be different, that we might not be sitting here talking right now. How do you, how do you understand that as a, as a theory and going back to the beginning? There, there is a temptation to turn this into a, a, an anthropic principle, that the universe was fine-tuned to make you and me here. If it weren't so fine-tuned, we wouldn't be here to notice that we weren't here. <laughs> so it's a circular argument. Um, some people want to use this as an argument to prove the necessity of God. I think that misses the point. The fact that we exist at all asks the question, why is there something instead of nothing? And I'm not talking about a creation at the beginning of time. I'm talking about the fact that existence continues to exist and that there is not only this you know, cosmological constant or all the other fine structure constants that go into the, the anthropic principle, but even if there are an infinite number of multiverses with different ways of physics, and some of them ending very quickly, and some of them lasting forever, and some of them having creatures with you know, 27 tentacles that, that think in totally different ways than we do. All of them are the creation of God. When Genesis was written, the author of Genesis said, look around, the world is this big plain with mountains around the edge and a dome on top, and bigger than that is the God who made it. When the Greeks realized that the world was round, bigger than that was the God who made it. When Kant and Herschel say that we're in a galaxy of stars with other galaxies, bigger than that is the God who made it. However you make the universe, God will be bigger. That's what it means to be infinite. Fascinating. Uh, you mentioned uh, the possibility of discovering a creature with, you know, 20 mm -hmm. tentacles or something. Uh, because modern science has discovered the sheer size of the universe, uh, it's almost incomprehensible. It is incomprehensible. We cannot fathom how big it is. Uh, that gives rise to the possibility, the real possibility, that there mm -hmm. is life out there. How does the church prepare for the possibility <laughs> of that discovery? It's funny. In a way, the church always seems to be about one generation behind in its philosophy. And... That's all right, because most philosophies don't last that long. The idea that we're alone and special is not traditional Christianity. It comes out of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was sort of the adolescence of human thought, where they had every idea that was simple, obvious, and wrong. But we know in our traditions that we are not the only creations of God. We have in Scripture the stars, the morning stars, singing for joy at their creation. We have in our traditions angels who are creatures made by God with a salvation history very different from ours. And I don't care if you want to say they're mythological or they're literal. The fact is they're there in our tradition. We're not afraid of other creatures. Because at the end of time, 
when we say that we are the image and likeness of God, it has nothing to say about how many tentacles we have. It's do we have the ability to know that we exist, that you exist, that God exists, and do we have the freedom to choose to love or not love? And that's the constant that creates what Aquinas would call the soul. That is what makes us creatures of God who can relate and love God. I'm not the only person in the universe. As a baby, I suddenly realized there are other babies around. I'm not the only adult in the universe, and people in North America are not the only people in the universe. Who's to say that people on Earth are not the only people? Um, I'm reminded of the old joke that either there are more intelligent creatures in the universe than us, or we are the most intelligent in the universe. And either way, it's a sobering thought. <laughs> Brother Consolmagno, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Brother Guy Consolmagno, director of the Vatican Observatory. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5 and on your Roku channel. Coming up in our second half hour, a modern conversion story and a featured chat with Max, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. There's something intriguing to me about conversion stories. I guess everything that I've learned all my life and supposedly know and believe, and in some ways, I guess, take for granted, becomes exposed when I read about someone's conversion. And that was exactly the experience I had reading Sally Reed's new book, Night's Bright Darkness. Sally Reed was a staunch atheist, a feminist, and even, you could say, anti-Catholic, who converted to Catholicism in just nine months. It's a fascinating and in some ways unbelievable story. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Sally Reed. Sally, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, thank you for having me. So can we go to the beginning of the story and can you describe your life, a little bit of what your life was like during the 90s when you worked as a nurse at a psychiatric hospital? Sure. I mean, I, I was raised as an atheist and I wanted to go into a career that was, uh, that was very altruistic and humanistic because... Uh, my father, who, who raised me atheist, was actually very noble and really believed in helping people less fortunate. Right. And that was really transmitted to me. So I went into psychiatric nursing with, with very good intentions, if you uh -huh. like. Yeah. Um, and my life as a nurse, I found, I found very difficult because I was really up against several very important things. Uh, first of all, I was up against people dying. Yeah. And I was up against um, dealing with psychiatric patients who had very difficult problems and at the same time I was living in London where you know it was post-sexual revolution and there was a lot of dating and that general very ordinary these days culture of dating and, and hooking up and right. I found a combination of all that actually made me feel very very fragile but I, I never managed to escape my atheism I felt very strongly that that there was no God and that only people who were deluded would think that there was right but had, had I asked you at the time would you have said that you were fragile uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I would have known that. I, I knew that because I was involved in a very difficult relationship because the men, you know, I hate to generalize, but I think it's 
true to say that in that culture, certainly what, what, I, what I experienced was that men didn't want to commit. So I was very wounded. And because of my job, I was wounded. And I think it's, it's interesting looking back how um, I got burned out as a nurse. I had a, a very good heart. I think I do have a very good heart. But, you know, without, without God in my life, I just became, you know, sucked clean of, of every good intention, if you like, and I just kind of crumbled. Right. And at that point, I knew I had to leave nursing. Right. And then, uh, then can I, if I can skip ahead, which is, which is something that you do in, in the book as well, skip ahead to, you know, years later, you're now married, you're living in, in Italy. That's, I'm sure, a whole other story in itself, um, just outside Rome or near Rome. Um, what was your life like then, just before you, you, I guess, had that powerful conversion experience? Yeah, I, by that time, I was a published poet, and I was married, and I was a mother. Yeah. So things were much more stable. And yet, I, I always used my poetry as a way of making sense of the world. And by the time I finished my second book, I began to feel that poetry did not make sense of the world, particularly contemporary poetry. So I was at a sort of a crossroads in my life. I was, I was approaching 40. Um, I loved being a mother, but my, my child was beginning nursery school and I was beginning to think about my writing again. And I thought that I would write a nonfiction book. Interestingly, actually, I thought nonfiction because I wanted to deal with the truth. I wanted to deal with something tangible. And so I began uh, researching a book with a doctor who I used to work with about women's sexuality. Right, right. And that, I guess that was the... the um catalyst in a way that 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 set you on a journey um even before you i mean you were you were anti-catholic you you were very anti-faith in that sense but you were still longing searching for truth i really was and i think that perhaps that's a tr been a character trait with me that i've always been a searcher and yeah. i've never been satisfied i've always felt that there was something I, you know, I was never aware of the fact I was searching for God, but I think through art and through writing, I was always searching for a way of making sense of things. Right. And so, yeah, I was at a place where I think that I was at that point in my life where suddenly I needed something much, much more. Right. And you didn't know. But were you actively, you weren't actually saying, well, I'm going to go experience Buddhism or I'm going to experience no, New Age. No, no, I... And, you know, I, I, because I didn't like religion. I didn't, I didn't like particularly organized religion. I just thought it was nonsense. Like, I really right. thought it was nonsense. Yeah. And, then um, and occasionally, you know, I say in the book, um, in London, when I was going through a very bad period, I did once or twice pop into the Quakers. Right. But the reason I popped into the Quakers was because there was, not, there was no doctrine and there was no hierarchy. Right. And it was just a quiet space to be. Right, right. Now, and then you find yourself in these conversations with this particular priest. I'm not going to give away the whole story because I want people to, to get the book. But, but you find yourself in this very intense, if I can use that word, um, journey. How much yeah. turmoil is this causing in your interior life as you're struggling with finding something that in some sense feels naturally very true, but at the same time goes against everything that you were brought up to believe? Yeah, it, it was massive turmoil, which is almost difficult even for me to understand now because it's brought me so much peace. Right. But at that time, I, um, it, it happened in such a short space of time that I contacted this priest, Father Gregory, in the March. Yeah. And we began emailing, and it was to do with my research. Yes. And in the April, I had this enormous 
kind of epiphany, if for want of a better word, where yes. I realized that there was a God. And then I had two very kind of mystical experiences of the Holy Spirit and then of Christ. Yeah. And so this created an enormous, well, <laughs> until I found Christ, I would say, these experiences kind of created an enormous upheaval in me that in many ways was enormously positive, but at the same time, it churned me up immensely. You know, I, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't think, I couldn't work, I couldn't write, until I found Christ, and then things settled right down. Although at that point, I was I didn't know that I was going to be Catholic. Yeah, and it, I find, and again, and I said this earlier, I, 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 being a Catholic and a, and a Christian all my life, I, I find this so intriguing because you're not you weren't drawn in by a particular idea or by a philosophy or you read something that you know it wasn't an intellectual thing it's almost like like your experience was like a saint paul conversion that it's a, it's a gift that is given to you like that mystical yeah it, it, yeah it, it was like it really was that christ came and took my heart and then the only question was how do i get close close to christ right and clearly that was through being close to the real presence and receiving the Eucharist. Right. So that was the, the absolute fundamental thing. And at the same time, I read around, I, I read obviously the Gospels, and I read around uh, the Church Fathers, etc., yes. to make sense of historically and theologically why I would be Catholic. Right. But it became, through that summer, 2010, it just became very clear that there was one true Church, and, and it had to be that Church. Yeah. And I love the way God revealed Himself to you in, in such a, even though it wasn't an intellectual experience, it, it, that it was such a logical kind of first, and you've structured the book this way, that first we need to be, you know, children of the Father, then you then there's a spiritual, the, the Holy Spirit, the Son, which leads you to the Church and to Mary, and then the mystery. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that structure and that experience and why you chose to, to structure the book in that sense. Yeah, well, really, it, it's almost like I, I, I never knew I was going to write the book. I, I always wondered about whether I should share the experiences. Yeah. Because it just, I wasn't sure. I had to be absolutely sure that it was what I was called to do. And when I, when I considered what had happened to me that spring, I realized that, that God gave me the experiences in a very poetic way. Like, I realized yes. with a shock at the end of that, that period that, that God had come to me in the Trinity, you know, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, mm -hmm. which seemed to me so incredible and amazing because if you'd have said to me pre-2010 what is the trinity to be honest i probably would have stumbled i don't think i could have answered the question which, right. which sounds crazy but i you know i wasn't schooled at all yeah. in in any kind of theology and so the very fact that god came to me in such a poetic and an amazing way just and the, just everything was, was so beautiful the timing and, and everything i just thought wow God wrote this, and, and I have to just write it down. Yeah, and, and not just, uh, uh, and that it was so specific to the Catholic faith, because it doesn't stop with yeah. the Father, Spirit, and Son, because it continues with the Church and the Mother yes. and the mystery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really is, again, it just kind of blows me away, you know, what happened. Like I say, I wasn't the author of this. I didn't kind of make this up. Yeah. But how it was... Um, as I was searching for Christ through that summer, when I, when I realized I was Christian, I was always knocking on church doors in London, looking for a Catholic church, almost in an unconscious way, because I, I didn't fully understand intellectually at that time the difference between a Catholic church and a Protestant church, in the sense that I wouldn't have known where to find the tabernacle if someone had asked me. You know, all those things are very new to me. Right. But I was always searching for a Catholic church, and, and every church I stumbled across in London that summer was shut. 
you know, incredibly. That you right. know, that it just seemed a very strange thing. And then when I when I eventually later on in the book, as I I wanted to become Catholic and I was due to be received into the church that day, I could hardly get into Rome. The church that I was supposed to be received into. Mm-hmm. The cardinal could not arrive there for various reasons, and I ended up going all the way to the Vatican itself. and And it felt like it didn't feel like any kind of coincidence. It felt like you know that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah, maybe just in closing, I know you didn't set out to write the book, but eventually you did feel called to write the book. So, what is your hope for the for this book? Is it for people who are struggling, who are searching? Is it for pe- you hope to convert people? I mean, um, we don't convert people, but what what is your hope yeah. for the book? Well, it's really a simple hope, and I don't, I don't know who specifically I would, I would target it at, but it's just to bring people to a greater love of Christ, because that's what I feel more than anything, is enormous mm-hmm. love of Christ, an enormous love of the Church. And if my book can, can bring anybody, whether they're Catholic or a returning Catholic or even someone who's not Catholic, if I can make them understand the incredible beauty of, of all of that, then, then that's my only my only desire and I, and I also felt when I when I wrote the book that it was it was like my gift back to God to say you know just you know, this heartfelt gratitude and that if I could just write it down and encapsulate all of that immense love that I felt through that period yeah and I still do but, you know that was a very very special time well thank you for writing the book and for sharing that experience with us it's uh it's a gift, and I and I know you realize that, but it's a gift to us as well. So thank you for sharing. Oh, it. thank you so much, and thanks for having me. That was Sally Reed, the author of Night's Bright Darkness, a modern conversion story. We spoke to her earlier this week from her home just outside of Rome. Night's Bright Darkness, a modern conversion story, is published by Ignatius, and you can get it at ignatius.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Mags, with Crazies from her newest album, Maybe Our Love. Yeah. 
was Mags with Crazies from her newest album, Maybe Our Love. Mags, or Maggie Wong as her parents call her, is a 21-year-old Canadian jazz, contemporary, pop singer, songwriter, and faith speaker. We first learned about Mags when she was 15 years old when she recorded her first album, this amazing album called Dreaming of Christmas. Um, She has released three albums since then. Her latest, which we've been listening to, is Maybe Our Love. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Mags. Mags, welcome back to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you so much for having me. So I think I want to go back to, because I think that the last I'm a little confused, but I think the last we spoke, you had just won the American Idol Experience competition. Um, And maybe that's Mm -hmm. not the last time we spoke, but I know that that happened. So tell us a little bit about that, because people might not know what that experience was like. Yeah, so um, I think that was was a while ago now. Um, But my family and I went to Orlando. We went to Disney. Yeah. And they have this cool little, um, it's like a little mini contest. Uh, for American Idol, um, and then if you win it, you get uh, a little ticket to go to the front lines of any American Idol audition, and you can be like in the TV uh, in the TV show. Right. Um, unfortunately, though, while America our American Idol was um, when it, the TV show was running, I think it was the last season yes. of it, so I only had one chance to go try it out because I did win it. Yes. Um, but the problem was I'm American. So, or sorry, I'm Canadian, and you can't try out if you're Canadian because you can't make money for them. <laughs> right. So, uh, so it didn't work out, but it was a really fun experience. But you were, sure. you did. I mean, you did. You were on the show. Like no, on, not on the uh, American. Not Idol on the TV show. show. No, you I were wasn't. on the on the so the sta- the video that's online is the stage show. Y- yeah, it's uh, it's actually from. It's very trippy because it's <laughs> it's uh, they have like a set in Disney. Okay. Um, that looks like the American Idol, yeah. And it's so done it's like the show, so you get and you get and you get the judges giving you feedback as well. Cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's too bad because you would have totally won everything. <laughs> um, oh, thank you. But but okay, but wait. So okay, so maybe I am confused because didn't that lead to your last album, which was the jazz album, didn't it? In a, in a sense, that experience. Um, not, not totally. So, um, after that, after the American Idol experience, um, we decided to, uh, do a live album for okay. jazz because I, I'm a jazz fanatic and I yes, love it. Yes, yes. So, um, my dad, who's a prof at one of the universities here, he does, uh, engineering. So he wanted to do an album, uh, that was tailored for what's called the Oculus Rift, which is a gaming device. 
Right. And so what he wanted to do was to record the first live music album, kind of as an experiment. He, he was studying the effects of virtual. What it does is you, you put on these goggles or these glasses, and um, it projects like you look around in 3D, like what right. you're seeing is in 3D yes. virtual world. Virtual reality, yeah. Um, we recorded the concert so that you can see it in 3D, like it's recorded in a 3D format. Uh, but actually what, what they were doing the experiment for in terms of um, three, like 3D was the sound was actually 3D. Okay, that was going to so be my next question. I don't know if question. you've ever yeah. heard of, um, they used to have these YouTube clips. You could put like an earbud in and they would have, um, they play different sounds and, and your brain can, can locate different sounds around your head. But really, there's no sound. There's no nothing is actually circulating around you. It's just a, a trick. So, uh-huh. so that's what it was called binaural sound for sure. Because I don't. There's nothing really out there like that. And, no. You know, we thought, let's try to make something. I mean, jazz is supposed to be spontaneous yes. and live. And I think a lot of the time with uh, with albums, they're so overproduced that it's nice when you see uh, when you see something live. You yeah, know, it's nice it when is. You can actually see the mistakes. Absolutely, yeah. and in, and in this case, mm-hmm. people can also watch it. Um, yeah, that's right. So now, so tell me about this new album, maybe our love. That again, it's a jazz album, but it's not live. So what what would be different um, about this album for you? Hmm. So, um, so the maybe our love album, uh, I think is is more comparable. It's kind of more in the direction of of. Uh, my second album called Mismatched was, uh, it was a pop album, yeah. uh, but it, most of the songs had, um, you know, unrequited love, I would say. Uh, and so this album, even though it has the same, a couple songs are, are in that direction, like a Taylor Swift kind of direction. Yeah. Uh, this is just a really interesting album for me as an artist because I got to go down to the States and record it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad and I, we flew out to Nashville uh, and then we recorded this album, and I mean, each each album that I've I've made has its own little story, uh, its cool little origin of how it came to be. And so this one was really cool because, you know, when you work in the music industry for a while, you know, you kind of get used to the same old scene, and it's hard to kind of break out of your shell yeah. um, and learn more stuff about what you do and that's really what this album personally helped me grow i mean you go to you go to the nashville and and there's just everyone can sing and you just yes. see how how competitive and beautiful the the artist's world is um but in terms of the in terms of the sound we kind of went for a more um we aimed for for a little bit of like an adele influence that amy winehouse influence and yeah. kind of played around with it Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Good. Now, um, earlier you said, I mean, th- that it's it's a pop album, like mismatched. Um, although you can certainly hear the the jazz influence, and I and I love that about it. Um, would you consider yourself a jazz singer or a pop singer or a Christian singer? Because I mean, I know that your Christian faith, your Catholic faith, also influences a lot of what you do. Hmm. I I would probably say you know all of the above. Um, because depending on, depending on where I'm singing, you know, if I, if I sing in a jazz, uh, you know, a jazz restaurant, yeah. people always tell me that I sound like a pop singer. And then right. when I go sing in a pop concert, people are always saying I sound like a jazz singer. So, um, 
I, I really have, I, I really, it's like, you can't choose your, your favorite child as a parent. And I, I, I certainly can't choose my favorite genre. I love pop and I love jazz. And yeah. so, um, I, I think it's fair to say that I, that I'm kind of, I'm both. Um, and for the Christian, you know, it's interesting, uh, for me as an artist to see, you know, when I go into concerts that are secular, it's tough to go in there stating you're a Christian artist because mm-hmm. I don't want to turn people off of listening to any sort of, you know, Christian messages within right. the songs. Uh, and so my my dad and I long ago decided, you know, instead of branding yourself as a Christian artist purely, so I don't go by a Christian artist, but I do consider myself a Christian artist. Mm-hmm. Um just in the sense that no matter what I do, no matter um, the type of gig I do, I always have the, I'm always like a missionary trying to convert people no matter what. So it's hard to say, I mean, publicly, no, not depending on the crowd. You could see me as Christian or not Christian. uh, But always my, my goal is to always be ministering to the people I I sing for. Yeah. And I think that depending on, and you do have songs where I would, classify them as secular songs but but you can tell that there's a there's a there's a worldview that is there's a christian worldview now i do know that sometimes you go and do i mean you sometimes uh, i don't know if you can call yourself a, a faith speaker but you do do a little bit of that so I- in that context you would be if if you're invited to do a a, a keynote or a or a or a talk you could do praise and worship like do you do that as well yeah yeah so i have been uh i think over the only the past couple of years mm-hmm. I've started to do this um, was talk more on ch- like chastity to the, the right. Catholic uh, realm. Okay. And uh, it's great because the, the new album has, you know, dang boy, if you listen yes. to the words and maybe our love, it's, it's all, it's all a bit complainy to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I love, I love using those songs as a template when I talk to kids Um because I think kids really, sometimes they don't want to be preached at. Sometimes they want, first and foremost, someone to sympathize with them that, you know, even though I'm Christian, you know, I still I still struggle with finding love just like everyone else, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's tough to find um, people who are, who are going to be honest with the struggle of finding love. You know, it's not easy. It's not perfect. Yes. No, that's good to know. And we know... I'm not going to let you go before saying here publicly that you also you found love yourself because you just got married literally two weeks ago. So congratulations on that, Maggie. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. It's uh, it's definitely a a prayer answered. I met him at my prayer group. Yeah. Uh, So kudos to Mother Mary for putting us together. Yes. Uh, Good. But yeah, definitely patience pays off in the long run for sure. Okay. Well, very good. Nice to talk to you. Um, Thanks for the album. I hope that uh, more good things are coming down the pipes. And uh, again, congratulations on your marriage. Thank you so much, Pedro. You can learn more about Mags and purchase her latest album at her website, magsthesinger.com. Here now is Mags with Dang Boy from her new album, Maybe Our Love. Dang boy, you sure are beautiful, so wonderful, simply incredible, darling. Dang you for making me fall for you, cause I fall for all you do. Cannot stop loving you. You a hurricane and a holiday mixed into one, but when it's all said and done, Stop. 
We're listening to Mags with Dang Boy from her new album, Maybe Our Love. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. Send us your comments on anything that you've heard on this program. The best way to do it is through Facebook. You can find me, Deacon Pedro, or uh, on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. And I'm on Twitter at Emmy Callen. So thank you for listening. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving weekend. And I guess we should also say a happy blessed Advent season. That's true. Because Advent begins First Sunday on Sunday. Week. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. And this has been the, the Salt, Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.